0: Okay, so welcome to this week's episode of the Python People podcast Um, and this week I'm very, very lucky, uh, feeling very festive and uh, very lucky to be joined by um, uh, Tiago Pereira. So Tiago, thank you very much for uh, for being here with us today. Um, Tiago, uh, for those people that don't know you, you're uh, you're a data science manager for uh, SEA Partners, aren't you? Yeah, uh, yeah, correct. Uh, we had a chat uh, quite recently and um, yeah you we' know, sort of got to know each other a bit better and uh, we felt that there was uh, quite an interesting conversation topic to discuss uh, for a podcast and um, maybe a lot of people might not know as much as you're a data science manager now you uh, up until 2018 in your career you're actually in a in a different walk of life different industry in, in mechanical engineering uh, and yeah. so uh, so we thought it would be uh, worthwhile just uh Getting together, chewing the fat, and uh, yeah, having a bit of a chat about you know what that journey's been like, yeah, you know, for you entering into the world of data science from a you know kind of a non-computer science or non-data sort of background, um, and yeah, just you know sort of go, go through uh, all, the, all the goods and the bads and uh, and see what can be taken from it. So um, yeah, so do you want to start by giving us a bit of your your background and your uh, your kind of a career um, synopsis? Yeah, sure.
1: So I think that since early in my life I knew I wanted to solve problems, and um, mechanical engineer always faced as a, um, a discipline where I could learn a lot on different fields and, and learn how things work and to solve these problems. So I, I was always fascinated on how everything works, the insides of, of, of uh, every process and every machine. And I, I liked to like dismount everything and, and put it up together again. Sometimes some, some pieces were, were missing, but still worked. So it was fascinating for me. And so since earlier, I knew this and I, I was always going towards that. I studied, I went to the university to study it. And there was a point in, my, in the university where I had to choose between energy field and the robotics and systems field. So there, these are two, two variants in the university where I studied. And at that point, I was faced with a major decision because I, I, I reckoned already that I really loved a lot the part of robotics and systems, how, how, how this automation worked. So we, this next step that we are in now works. But I, I also loved a lot about the energy, so renewable energies, combustion, uh, thermics. So all, all about that uh, I also liked a lot. So my choice there was basically uh, um, based on what I thought I could learn by myself later <laughs> and what I would not be motivated to learn. So I, I went to, um, to energy because of that, actually, um, because I knew that I would be dragged to the coding part later on and I'll, I'll learn how to code and, uh, and how to, to implement systems there. So when university ended, uh, I thought, okay, well, let's give it a go at, at our work um, environment. And I, I started as a design engineer um, at Siemens, actually um, uh, designing power transformers. So something that is related with electricity. And then I was designing a park, a mechanical part there. And then I shifted to the oil industry uh, designing um, um equipment for rigs and drill ships Uh, and finally on my on my career on engineering i I worked for a year in a consultancy company where i tackled different problems like uh, designing winches designing industrial printers something that i have never known before and all of these experiences were really good in terms of uh, understanding how, how these mechanical products work so Uh, all of their intricacies and um, their problems. How do you design, how do you calculate, how do you uh, make sure that something is not going to fall apart? So putting everything I've learned in university into into work was really uh, satisfying. Um, However, when I reached the the last year in the consultancy part, I also started having this connection with clients and, and understanding that... Most of in most of my previous jobs, I always shifted a little bit and, and tried to automate my processes. So if I wanted to design faster uh, uh, some some parts that were recurring, uh, I would automate actually the the 3D modeling of it so that I would only need to to change a couple of dimensions and the old model would go uh, um, behind. So uh, and even automating like Excel spreadsheets to to make my work easier. So I, I always uh, so I, I think myself as a little bit lazy because I always want to automate things to have less work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so by learning how to code and and being in that in that field, I started learning also the power of data and uh, how we see how we can see that data can help in the most different companies and, and processes that we, we get. Um, so when I, I changed to this consultancy role, um, I also started learning about machine learning, how, how we can teach machines. Uh, that's like solving a really big problem. And for me, understanding how everything works again. So it, it all ends up going there, understanding how, how we could teach some, some machine to learn just based on examples it was fascinating as well to me. So I knew how to code already in, in MATLAB and in VBA, but it's always about you giving the instructions to the machine. And now you don't give the instructions to the machine, you just give them the examples and, and it learns by itself. And this, this was really fascinating to me. So I started learning about these. I started learning Python because it's the common, common uh, language that's used in this field and after one year, I, I set to, to change and to go into data science. Let's there, see. I think I... Yeah, yeah go ahead. Sorry, there, there I think I was really lucky because um, I applied to several companies and uh, I received lots of uh, um, answers saying that we are looking for a background that is um, uh, on data science already or computer science, something that's already more specific Mm. And I was uh, I was coming with almost eight years ex- of experience in another field. So there was some challenges here uh, in finding someone that would uh, allow me to to show what I already learned by myself, right? Yeah. Um, so I was really lucky because this consultancy company I, I went to, the Closer Consulting, and actually provided me a, a test, a challenge, so I could code at home and I could show already what I could do. So that that was actually the the um blocker for for this my career on, on data science because it allowed me to show what i could do it allowed me to to enter their company and then I, I could progress there and um and show effectively what i've learned how i learn how i i pose my problems how i solve my problems uh and that and that brought me where i am today so
0: amazing <laughs> yeah cool thanks that that's really really interesting story and always um I'm always really intrigued to hear how people arrive in the world of, of data because you know I think data yeah, it won't be a surprise to people that it's, it's a massively evolving field and I think you know, where we were kind of 10 probably you know even five years ago to a certain degree you know data sort of seen as a separate entity in a business you know a separate kind of uh, technology vertical and and now you know it definitely feels like it's attracting people from more of a diverse background and people from different walks of life and have done different things and then they kind of arrive at at data science and the amount of conversations i have with people where they've, they've done different um you know careers prior to getting into data science but they land in data science and like this is this is my passion i absolutely love it and uh, you know it's the area i want to stay in um but it's a very good point that you know i've definitely had conversations with people where they've experienced quite a bit of resistance in the market um you know if they've come from a different background and they've maybe struggled to get that sort of initial initial foothold um you know into the world of data science um, but fair play to you for you know being uh, proactive and sort of putting your money where your mouth is and sort of uh, doing doing the technical test and sort of showing what you can uh, showing what you can do um, I guess but um, but what what I loved about you know what you just, just listened to you talk then and what, what you were saying about your background I think the, the the key thread that came out to me there you know was always about solving problems and um, you know, I guess that's true. I mean, there's obviously some similarities and, and quite a lot of differences, I'm sure, which we're we'll going to talk about. But a thing that sort of strikes me about you is you're somebody that enjoys, you know, kind of solving solving a problem. And I think that's a that's a really strong trait of a good data science professional is someone that realizes what they're doing how that impacts, you know, yeah, either yeah, a yeah. stakeholder or the wider business or, you know, how it's, how it solves a problem. You know, it's not just this piece of technical work I'm doing in isolation. Um, so, uh, you see, that's that really interesting to hear, but so have you, have you found that transition since moving from, you know, mechanical engineering, is it, was it the right choice for you? You know, do you miss any part of mechanical engineering that you don't get to do in data science or, you know, what, what are the sort of um, the pros and the cons for you of that move?
1: Yeah, so I think that for me it has been mostly positive, and and I really love what I'm doing. Um, I think that I found in data science uh, a mix of of what I was looking for, and and specifically maybe in consulting in consulting because in consulting we we can be uh, in a project from start to end. So you have to to deal with uh, business requirements at, at the beginning, and then you have to solve the problem, and then you have. To still present it to your client and and um, so you have all of this pipeline that you you are able to be inserted in whereas on and and this is something i I like so i i like to to be aware of the entire pipeline and understand what how do you solve the entire problem not just a part of it and in mechanical engineering what i was looking is that most companies are already split into sections where you you take part of of one of the sections but not of the entire project. so you maybe you are developing or designing in an internal team and you don't have uh, these stakeholders uh, communication uh, as you have in consultancy so i wanted to have this entire pipeline as well and i wanted to explore the coding part so it it was a really good match to me and and um, yeah, I don't regret anything at, at all. Um, in terms of cons and pros, um, so I think that as we were discussing, there are some cons in, um, regarding with acceptance from market. Um, and so it's it it's not that it is hard to change the data science because it's such a hot topic right now that. There is so much demand for data scientists that as long as you can prove that you know and that you can implement stuff, uh, someone will probably get you. Um, But there is always some resistance. And and when you are um, evaluated, faced uh, in contrast with other candidates, if a candidate already has a background, companies um, assume by default that it already has more knowledge on that. Uh, which is not uh, necessarily true because it's not—it's hard to show on your profile how much you've learned by yourself, how much that it's not backed by a university degree or by some some professional experience, but that you can be doing by yourself and exploring by yourself. I think that one way you can do that is in your CV, trying to have like a, a small portfolio of your own projects. Uh, try to focus on that because and, and, and remove the focus on your past experience. And so that's what I had to do. Uh, um, so usually your past experience is the first thing you see on your, on your resume. And um, I had to do the other way around. I had to put it down and, and actually bring up some personal projects I was trying to do in data science mm. to show up like, yeah, I'm trying to do this. Uh, and then, uh, as I said, having a, a, challenge, a challenge that Evaluates me was was uh, a really absolute crucial point because mm. it, I don't think it would be it would have been so easy to change if any company would uh, accept to to see how much I would I already knew.
0: Mm. So
1: um, this is really important, and I think that companies would look should look more into this because it's not only about your background; it's about what you are willing to do for your future and if someone gives you a task even if you don't know how much could you learn in the, the that amount of time um to to make it uh, to solve it right
0: yeah yeah totally yeah it's it's a great it's a great point because it is a question also I, I get asked quite often by people that are looking to get into the world of data science from another um another career and um you know, they always ask it, well, what can I do to improve my chances? how can I kind of make myself more attractive and And I always say, you know kind of echoing what you said there that, you know unfortunately against another candidate that's got demonstrable experience of the market and sort of you know proven they've been in that kind of environment and they can show what they're capable of, you are going to be an element of a of a risk you know compared to another mm-hmm. candidate that's got that that tried and tested background and um, so anything you can do to mitigate that risk and you know, show people, um, like I said, and I'm a, I'm a big believer in, you know, people being able to demonstrate through pet pet projects and portfolios and things like that. Because I think it's something as a from a client perspective I get asked for quite often, not only necessarily from this, um, you know, conversation point about how do you get into data science, but just, you know, in terms of it's generally a hallmark of a good candidate if they've um, done a bit of work in the background, they've got their own pet projects, they've done their own kind of portfolio. It shows that it's less of a, less of a job I guess and and more of a passion you know if they're doing some work outside the office and they've got a bit of you know interest in tinkering with new technologies and things like that so that's a bit of overarching advice I'd give to to any candidate to be honest trying to stand stand apart and uh, you know be a bit more attractive for selection Uh, but I think certainly in this instance it's absolutely key isn't it if you know somebody hasn't got that experience on their CV they they need to be able to show uh, what they do know Um, but I think it's, it's a great point you make about just because you know somebody's done something you know from here to here it doesn't mean that's what they want to do from here to here you know it's actually about their their attitude and their outlook from from this point so you've got to convince people that as much as you've done this in the past your real passion now lies in 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 data science and you've got to be able to explain to people why you know what is that kind of passion for you and and why is it going to be you know a really rewarding career and, and why are you going to be the person that goes the extra mile you know in that in that role um so, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good point to, to mention. I mean, is there any, from, from somebody that's successfully made that transition, you know, from another um, industry into data science, is there any other advice, um, you know, you could share with somebody that's possibly looking to go on the same journey and, and possibly sort of cross train into a, a different yeah. industry? Any sort of tips and tricks?
1: Yeah, so I think that um, there are also two, two big markets in terms of data science companies. So uh, I'm in consultancy and, and this was more um, tailored for me specifically because I could leverage my experience on another sector. Uh, so I, I can com- I could come in and, and say, even not having a lot of experience in data science, only personal experience, um, I can bring to the table stuff like experience and how to, to deal with stakeholders, Uh, um, how to prioritize tasks and and lead teams, for example. So I could bring already something into the table, not related with data science, but that could also be useful. Uh, So I think that consultancy, actually, it's easier for you to get in than going straight to a a more focused company where you you want to do some research uh, because these companies are the ones that lie a lot in uh, that uh, want a lot these backgrounds the, this knowledge that you in university studied the algorithms that you you had something focused on on, on the research so going into consultancy i think it was really uh, really helpful for me because i could leverage the experience and and, and uh, yeah
0: and the maturity yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic point uh, because you know that, that in consultancies as well I guess there is the of course there's a need to be technically competent and effective but it's as much about actually being a, quite a well-rounded individual isn't it that can do the you know the stakeholder engagement piece has good soft skills has, has good communication skills and very often you know for consulting clients we've worked with um, they would they would often take a gamble on a a, a, a bright you know, a uh, numerate individual that hasn't had a huge amount of you know commercial experience, but they've got very strong soft skills, very strong, you know, and other strings to their boat, I guess, that they can kind yeah. of bring to the table. And I suppose for you, somebody that's brought eight years of experience in another domain, clearly, you know, you, you've crafted a lot of experience outside of the data science vertical, like you said, that you can build upon that, you know, it makes you a very um, attractive, very quality consultant, I guess, outside of pure data science alone. Um, So I think that's a really good, uh, really good point. You know, sort of picking the company that's actually going to be interested in your, uh, in in your background that could be a bit of a stepping stone into maybe more data science focused uh, business. So yeah, um, yeah. Um, okay. I mean, I guess you know, mechanical engineering into data science in many ways. You know, it's it's obviously on the surface a very different industry, but I guess in a lot of other ways there's. Yeah, you know, quite a few similarities there insofar as you know, you have to be clearly quite a numerate person. Um, you know, and uh, I've got a friend actually who's a, an aerodynamicist for uh, Aston Martin. He he sort of works in CFD, uh, computational fluid dynamics, and he um, he he actually was talking to me the other day about Python. And I was like, "What? You're using Python in your job?" Because you know, I was telling him what I recruit for, and he's like, "Yeah, I use it all the time." So obviously, you know, in, in certain areas of uh, of engineering, you know, you probably have to. Have that kind of mindset already and be sort of familiar with with code um but do you feel there's uh there's certain industries that that do lend themselves better you know from what you've seen so far to uh entering into a world of um of data science particularly
1: yeah so as we we're uh, as we we're saying uh backgrounds that are analytical backgrounds have um, a big advantage into coming into either into this field because um Understanding the algorithms, it's all about algebra uh, and calculations. Uh, so I think that engineers, uh, on like a broad, si- uh, broad, broad spectrum of engineers, uh, anyone can come into data science. So and I can give you an example. So at Closer, um, we had engineers from so many different fields. We had civil engineers, mechanical, biomedical. Uh, electrical, chemistry, so any any field actually. And this is only possible because on the roots of engineering, so on your first two or three years of engineering degree, you only learn maths. So <laughs> when you want to do the transition into data science, it's all about maths and it's easier for you. I think that also people that come from finance and economics also find, uh, find it easier as well because they have dealt with some of the of the algorithms that are used in data science, for example, time series algorithms, uh, they have already studied them, and it's already um, not—I wouldn't say halfway uh, known because because we have so many different uh, subjects in data science. But it's a really big uh, chunk of data science nowadays. It's time series because of all of the IoT and real-time uh, data. So they also lend very well to. To coming into data science and to learn uh, the algorithms,
0: the specific algorithms. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Makes a lot of
0: sense. um and, and I guess, really, you know, you are, Tiago, quite a shining example of, you know, I know I'm not, I'm not going to give you a big head by saying this, but yeah, you're, you're quite <laughs> a shining example of just what you can achieve in, in a relatively short space of time by, you know, cross training into another industry and really taking to it and, and showing what you're capable of because, you know, you're already, uh, In the position of a data science manager, only I guess you know a couple of years into your sort of dedicated data science career. Um, So, um, would you say there's been any kind of particular uh, characteristics or attributes, or just things that you feel you've you've done um, well that have allowed you to experience quite an accelerated career progression in this industry?
1: yeah so i'm I'm really curious, and when I have a problem, and even if someone tells me you can solve it this way uh, i'll I'll just go and look for other ways, maybe better ways if possible, to solve the same problem and By doing this i ended ended up by learning about uh, a lot of the different algorithms out there uh, without actually needing to implement their, them so I'll read so much uh, so papers, blogs, and so on. Uh, about data algorithms, that I was really at ease to discuss the implementation of them and and the pros and cons to constraints of all of these algorithms. This this allowed me to, to jump into a, a more senior position where I can go to a client with with the experience I had already before, but I, I can go to a client and discuss a proposal and, and discuss why we are going to use this algorithm and why this approach. Uh, and people um, so, because I, I've read so much about it, and I know I know so much about it because of I, I've read it, I can convince people of what I'm doing, uh, what I'm saying. Like uh, I, I have the arguments to convince the people uh, of this. So it it lends a lot of of help, like uh, to to grow in the consultancy area. Mm. It, it's uh, how you can pass your message and how how well are you prepared. Uh, if someone throws at you uh, a constraint or a problem, how well are you pre- prepared to to take it in and adjust and and give a, a new approach? So if you tell me you have that problem, I can go instead of going route A, I can go route B, and we solve the problem anyway. Because you have in your arsenal of of solutions, you have a really big arsenal, and you can use them. Mm. Uh, So I think that that was a key factor for my progression in data science. It's reading, learning, uh, knowing uh, this stuff very well so that I can discuss with anyone and I can go everywhere and I can discuss any algorithm, uh, why it's done. And even if I don't know the algorithm, since I, I, I go deep and I learn how the algorithms work inside, I can extrapolate also well Um, to to other algorithms, so what probably that algorithm is doing. And even if I'm not not 100% sure or 100% correct, it it usually lies around that because there isn't usually that uh, disruptive change in the way algorithms tackle the same kind of problems. And if there is, there probably there was a hype on the news about that, and I've read about it. So <laughs> that that's that's a really big factor in, I
0: think. Yeah, that's cool. I really like that
1: answer because. Uh, just turned the light
0: on. Oh, oh yeah, okay for you. Yeah. <laughs> and there was light. Um. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Um, uh, yeah, no, I was just saying I really like that answer because um, it's you know you you're not saying right well to be successful in data science you've got to have two years commercial computer vision experience you, know, you it's not you're, you're not sort of looking at it from a skills point of view although I guess it is a skill to to ensure that you're constantly reading up on things but to me that's more like an attitude isn't it that's more like you know being like say inquisitive mm. and and having a tenacious attitude to find multiple solutions to the same problem and yeah I really like the point that you know I'm, I'm a firm believer that you know to have confidence in anything in life you know I was watching a Michael docu- uh, Michael Jordan documentary the other day uh, it's really good actually if you haven't seen it The Last Dance on Netflix yeah. it's basically just talking about you know why he is as good as he is and why he is so confident and I guess it's true for lots of sports people that success doesn't happen by accident it's just about pure preparation and you know just hard work in the background and just I- evaluating all these different options so when they get into that situation where you know they need to be confident they they know they've done all the background work you know they know they've done everything yeah. they need to so it just almost comes second nature and i guess it's a similar thing really like if you've you know you've evaluated every single angle that it could possibly be and, and you've gone away you've done the hard work and you've prepared for it you know i think confidence comes from uh, great preparation and yeah, um definitely. yeah i think that's a really it's a really, a really and, cool
1: point. and another point it's trying to put yourself in your client's shoes. So you are solving a problem and your clients, your client have this problem. What are the questions that is likely to do? So if you were the client, what would you like to be, to see solved? And uh, how do you like to to see it solved? So you can prepare for the questions uh, by doing this exercise and I always had, like, with my brother, I always had, like, these kind of discussions where one would take a stand and the other the opposite stand, even if we don't believe it, just to be <laughs> arguing and, and, and actually um, develop these arguing skills. Mm-hmm. And it actually, it's really good on this exercise of putting yourself on the client's shoes because it's just, if you, even if you don't believe that that's what the client would need, why it doesn't need it. So yeah. put yourself in, in his shoes, solve his problem from his side, and then you can put your problem better. for yeah. You.
0: So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Me, me and my brother have been doing that for years, but obviously <laughs> I, I didn't realize we were preparing to be data scientists. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's that's, that's a really good point. And I think, um, I think it's going back to your point you were making earlier on about just being a good, problem solver isn't it and actually just understand looking it through your eyes of your customer and i guess i can really extrapolate that out into you know what what we do i mean obviously we recruit for data scientists but the nature of the job in terms of what we do on a daily basis obviously isn't is is quite far away from the responsibilities of a data scientist but but i still see what i do very much so as my value to the market is innately um you know correlates to the the problems i can solve for people yeah, and uh, you know, if you look at it through your customer's eyes of, right, does a customer really want a CV from me? Do they just want a piece of paper, or do they want me to help them? You know, save them time in their day. You know, what what what's the what's the value really that they want from my service? And I think if you can look at most things in life through the eyes of the person that you're, you know, you're you're supposedly serving. Um, you should be able to come up with a you know a, a much better way to serve them. So um, yeah, okay, cool. And um, I guess just just I'm quite curious actually. In, in the sort of couple of years that you've been in this area, you know, what how do you feel the the kind of landscape is looking within data science and you know machine learning and, and AI now? Is there you know what's what's sort of the one area that you're really excited by and um, sort of for the future in in data science and, and ai is there anything that sort of springs to mind
1: yeah so i think there are uh, nowadays there are three major areas that have lots of of development and a real big hype around it so nlp so natural language processing image processing and reinforcement learning so this one is still a bit behind but i think that it's probably the one that will have the most growth uh, in in the future because reinforcement learning it's about how to make decisions to solve problems it's about how how we humans learn and uh, learn to do this, to make decisions and um, and once we can tune that up and and uh, and have it really really good you can solve most of the problems by introducing um, evaluation on on your decision so if this was a good decision you get a a reward if it was a bad decision you get a a penalization Mm. so once you can translate your problems into a decision that a human would make I think this this field would have a really big expense and we've seen I think uh, in the news that there have been uh, several news about reinforcement learning with DeepMind uh, with the AlphaGo uh, with, um, with also with fast AI I think uh, with the, the computer games that they are beating the, the best teams and the best uh, professionals out there uh, by using these kind of, of algorithms. So I, I'm really excited about this reinforcement learning. I think that once we can teach a machine on how to make decisions and we can transfer also its knowledge. So nowadays one one of the biggest problems is that we teach a machine how to make decision on a, a really small uh, scope. So you you have this problem and you are learning to make a decision on specifically this problem, and it's hard to transfer this this knowledge to another task to another problem. But once we we get it, then you you can have like uh, just a couple of algorithms that can solve most of your problems. Mm-hmm. This is about making a decision, and it may take some time to for it to be very tuned uh, it, it needs to try and fail just like humans try and fail and um, mm. to learn but it will learn way faster than a human because it can try faster and can fail faster and yeah. it doesn't have the same disadvantages or if it's in a, in a controlled environment you, you are not prejudicing anyone while it's in the controlled environment so you can test 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 you can fail as long as as much as you want because you are not giving anything bad to mm. the world um and this this will eventually take to to the other part that's like uh, i think very exciting for the future that uh, it's felt in in ai's conferences and so on that's like the singularity moment where an ai can have more intelligence than the human that mm-hmm. that's when so it's called the singularity and these kind of algorithms where you can make decisions and teach a, a, a program to make a computer to make decisions will be the basis of, of this kind of singularity because it's where computers will start to make decisions by this themselves. It's not someone saying you are doing this because it's good, it's, uh, it's going to say from the past this is good, this is bad, now you decide to be the future. Yeah. So, this is exciting and it's so a bit daunting as well because we all seen the movies like Terminator <laughs> and so on. And, yeah. and I, I believe that most of people that work in, in AI and, and machine learning are excited and are daunted about this subject. So, we don't know what will happen. We And it, it is exciting to be working in that. In terms that you know that you are building the future because it's inevitable, but it's also daunting because if it all goes wrong, what will happen to us? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's uh, it's it's weird, isn't it? How like in, in as as humans, we always sort of prophesize what's going to happen in the future. Like you know, you look at these films, like like the Terminator or whatever. But you just look, you, even if you look at like Back to the Future 2 as an example. You know, like there was, I was watching this uh, video on YouTube the other day about stuff that's actually come true from yeah. Back to the Future 2 and it's like we sort of set a, you know, put a flag in the sand about what the future is going to look like and then we just slowly sort
1: of start yeah. working towards that. Yeah, it? we actually, it drives us to that future, right? Because yeah. we, we said that we want something and then we, we strive to go there and maybe we are closing some doors in the way just because we are focused on that exact future.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just amazed at how it seems like, you know, when we watch any futuristic program now, you kind of think like, well, that, that is clearly what we're trying to all work towards if that's what we're envisioning as the future. And uh, I totally agree with you. I mean, it absolutely blows my mind when I really try and think about, you know, the the true differences between artificial intelligence and, and I guess, yeah, your point is, you know, obviously machines can think a lot quicker and process a lot of, of data a lot quicker, but I guess this is where I see the big differentiation between computational power and actually artificial intelligence you know what is what is true intelligence and I was having a conversation last week actually with uh, um, Manish Patel on on, um, the last episode of of, uh, the podcast and we're talking about sort of multimodal um, uh, machine learning and multi -hmm. multimodality structures and uh, I I, at university I did biopsychology and the part that I was really really interested in is actually about how the brain learns from experience and how you know like and this again is a real fascination for me about how humans we learn as, as sort of biological entities, where we have an external stimulus, you know, something then happens internally within our brain. We get long long term potentiation happening at the the synapse in the cell, and then something happens, and then we've got a, a new perspective, you know, we've created a memory, um, and you know how how digital uh, computers obviously they have the ability to form memories, but. But we've got a, a st- distinct advantage that we can do it in in context with our surroundings you know you everything's yeah, going on yeah. around us but it's about how do you teach a, a, a machine to have context like you said and you know we're very good at sort of solving you know issues in one niche vertical with one algorithm that can solve one problem but then how does that relate to solving the next problem and the next problem and like you said if if we can work that out then the, the sort of future for ai is just you know it's, it's just bondage, yeah. isn't it what what's possible and kind of yeah. how it all, all yeah, works okay. so uh, yeah it does it does kind of really blow my mind and it's really like I say really exciting but also genuinely really um, you know really daunting at the same time and just just on this note before we if, if we finish I was I was watching a video on uh, Facebook the other day about deep fakes mm-hmm. and uh, I was just thinking like you know you watch it it's just a bit of fun don't you about seeing a you know, dead celebrities talking and things like that and then you think actually like the, the potential that that has in in a good and a, a bad way, really, you know, for um, you know being able to watch a, a video of on somebody because you know, we, we just believe what we see, don't we, as humans? We, know yeah. we believe what we see, and uh, yeah, technology is getting to the point now where it's genuinely really difficult to discern the difference between reality and you know, if you think about the the, the Trumps of this world that are talking about fake news and you know manipulating the uh, technology to. Communicate with people in a certain way, you know, it's it's really quite scary, isn't it? Like what what could happen if yeah, the wrong yeah. the wrong technology so, falls
1: into the wrong hands one one of the big fields on, on artificial intelligence nowadays is exactly um, Distinguish what is a deep fake or not? so <laughs> because there are already uh, such good algorithms to, to create these these fakes that as humans are, are losing the perception whether this is um, fake or, or reality Um, but computers can still um, find it because when we look at an image, and and this goes again to to a broad spectrum, uh, broad vision. When you look at an image, you see a person and you see like maybe hair, uh, nose, eyes, and so on. The computer sees every pixel. And because of that, it can distinguish when a a fake is is done, that it didn't mimic all of the, the pixels correctly. Okay. But for us, it's the same because if it's like one pixel wrong or, or, or another wrong on the side wrong, we cannot distinguish. We don't have the resolution to do that. Yeah. And so yeah, nowadays one of the fields that has a lot of fight also it's is uh, understanding what is fake and what is reality. Uh, and I think it will be very important. So I'm not sure if you saw on that Facebook um, uh, video that you, you were mentioning, uh, they put like Obama talking without being Obama, and and this yeah. can have really big repercussions. Yeah. Imagine that someone leaks a video of Trump now saying that he's going to launch nukes to, to Russia. Exactly. So
0: yeah. <laughs> that was, that was my exact scenario. I was I was imagining <laughs> in my mind of like you know someone watching a video of that, and it's like oh my god, it just started and, World War Three, and it's it's yeah. And
1: of course, that we we are talking about an extreme, and there will be uh, lots of uh, security measures to ensure that. It, nothing wrong happens, but when you go to smaller things, imagine one person that leads a company, and now you have uh, someone making a statement by this person, and and it can just plummet or rise your company value in a moment. And you in the stock market, you can be earning a lot of money. Hundred percent. So there are smaller things that doesn't impact the world by itself, and where people can take a lot of advantage. So it is
0: a really tricky, tricky, uh, subject. Yeah, totally. That, totally. That's that, I mean, the two examples you made there. I totally agree with. I mean, the first one I was thinking of is just how easily it could be for something to escalate, you know, uh, when just, when you're watching the video, how, how, like, it's, and I'm glad obviously there's these, uh, these parameters in place where you, you can sort of uh, machine can detect whether it's a deep fate or, or not pretty quickly, but you know, like I say to the naked eye, when you're watching something, you know, you easily take them the wrong way. Um, but yeah, I was also thinking about the, just the, uh, the ramifications for, you know, kind of social influences and things and just advertising as well. Like I say, having like David Beckham, you know advertising something for five seconds you know you can pay him a couple of hundred grand or you can just do it with a deep fake <laughs> you know yeah. and then you've got the same pretty much the same effect haven't you that you
1: needed to oh, so, of course then you'll have like people uh, from David Beckham suing you because uh, his image was used without his consent and so on but if you do it without knowing anyone knowing that it's you then <laughs> exactly yeah
0: but it's it's almost the same the same ramifications for fake news i mean they don't really exist do they there's there's no it's no it's really difficult to police and then when you do police yeah. it it's like well sorry i thought that was you know true or whatever so it's uh you know it's it's really difficult isn't it to think about but you, you like to think you know with all these uh all these things we're creating we're putting the uh the sort of uh, the blockers in place at the same time to control it but you never know, do you? You
1: know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really hard, but I think that's something that definitely companies and the companies that do a lot of research on this area needs to concern. And, and probably there will be some algorithms that will come out and, and just can be used by everyone, just, just to be sure that what you are seeing. Is, so it, it's actually a business. So imagine that you have an algorithm that can rate if a content is true or fake. You you can just have a stamp saying that this this content was rated with this algorithm, and and because of that you know that it's true. Mm. Um, so it's actually a whole new business.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's it. I mean, the, the possibilities are literally endless, aren't they? In terms of uh, of what AI is going to do for us, uh, you know, I guess good good and bad, but hopefully more good yeah. than that um that's uh okay fantastic well look it's been fascinating talking to tiago really really enjoyed uh our chat and um as always we kind of deviate a little bit off path towards the end but um but i guess i'd like to i'd like to end um as i end all my podcasts with um uh stealing a, a question which i heard. well i've read a book um called if i could ask you one thing by a guy called rich reed where he just went around a load of famous celebrities and asked very successful people for their one favorite bit of advice in the world. And uh, it's a good book actually, if you haven't read it, it's quite, quite, a, quite a short read, but quite good. Um, and, uh yeah, so I guess in the same, in the same breath, I'd like to ask, is there a, a particular piece of advice or your, you know, your, your, your favorite piece of advice that you'd like to pass on as your parting words to uh, your fellow man and lady? Yeah, sure.
1: So, and I think that I've touched it already and, um, it's probably based a lot in what i've heard from steve jobs speech when he got the stanford degree that it's like don't settle keep on learning uh like just just keep learning because knowledge is a lot of power uh, knowing how to do stuff and how to know if it's true or fake for example it's very important and and it's what will drive your career forward. It's what will enable you not to stop in time and continue forward. Keep on learning. You diversify your your knowledge, and not only on your sector, uh, go broader as well. And and yeah, don't stop.
0: <laughs> great, great advice. God bless Steve Jobs. He had a few uh, had a few <laughs> a few good quotes, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, fantastic. All oh, right, okay. Look, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it yeah. And uh, yeah. Best of luck with the rest of your career. Thanks for sharing all the great advice and, and tips. And uh, yeah. I uh, look forward to Thanks. following your progress uh,
1: eagerly in the future. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> nice no worries pleasure. at all. Yeah. Take care. Bye for now. Bye.